Good morning, church. Uh, Before I get to the entree, I have a couple of appetizers that I need to share for no extra charge. And I think they're related. Uh, Two weeks ago, I came in here and uh, my right knee was in very bad pain. I couldn't bend it. In fact, it was so bad at home that my wife was even saying, do I need to put your sock on? Which I probably should have let her do a few days, but I struggled and it took me about three minutes, but I did get it on. Uh, My daughter thought I'd torn or ruptured or something, my patella tendon, and maybe I did. I don't know. Just felt like I had a knife in it, though, and I couldn't bend it. And uh, while... Folks were up here ministering. Uh, Mike Sedemeyer was here. <clears throat> I asked Tim Colwell to pray for my knee. And uh, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Glory to God. It's completely healed. Completely healed. No pain whatsoever. And uh, my good knee is restored to where it was before. <laughs> uh Which has to do with the second entree. Uh, A week from today, I will be in London, England. Some of you know this. uh, With my youngest daughter, Abigail, and 36 other individuals. uh, Doing a street ministry to Muslims. It's a four-week endeavor through Campus Crusade for Christ in connection with the uh, outreach arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. They've been doing this since 2002. Um, Last year, uh, they distributed over 15,000 pieces of literature. That's Bibles, copies of the Jesus film, and tracts to, to Muslims on the streets of London. A million Muslims live in London. And during the summer, hundreds of thousands more come for vacation. It's a destination point. So, um, enable, uh, in order for me to adequately do what I need to do there, I needed a good leg. So, uh, at least one good leg. So, that's of no concern now. So, my wife was concerned. Are you going to be able to do this? Well, yeah. I was going anyway, but... Uh, Correct. So on the average, uh, each individual on the team and there will over the four week period, there will be one hundred and seventy five people going. Some of these people have been all 15 years uh, in a row. And there's been marvelous testimonies come out of this endeavor, this outreach. It's it's amazing to hear the stories. On the average, uh, each one of us will have at least 14 encounters per hour with with a Muslim person on the streets of London. So as you're praying for the Honduras outreach, pray for this one as well. So I won't be here for a couple of weeks, which is no big loss, but just to let you know. (laughs) 
All right, I'd like to begin in Isaiah chapter 22. And when I was preparing this over the past week or so, uh, I was pretty oblivious to the fact that it was July 4th. And this is the Sunday closest to July 4th. So I, I didn't even think about what July 4th represents. But as we go through this, I hope that you can hear that this is a message of freedom. And it's my hope and prayer that when we walk out of here today, every one of us will be as completely free in Christ as we could possibly be. Every one of us. Isaiah 22 Verse 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the royal household. What right do you have here and whom do you have here that you have hewn a tomb for yourself here? You who hew a tomb on the height, you who carve a resting place for yourself in the rock. Behold, the Lord is about to hurl you headlong, O man, and he is about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball to be cast into a vast country, and there you will die. Not too encouraging so far. There your splendid chariots will be, you shame of your master's house. I will dispose you. Depose you from your office. I will pull you down from your station. And it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Helkiah, and I will clothe him with your tunic. I will tie your sash securely about him and entrust him with your authority. He will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. And I will drive him like a peg in a firm place. And he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, now in this moment. Thy word was found, and I ate it. Thy word became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, O Lord God of hosts. So, Father, as we hear and breathe in and eat this word this morning, may it be so with us, a joy. And a delight and freedom to us. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. I couldn't decide on a title, so I gave it to The Wonderful Key or What's in Your Pocket? What's in your pocket? Keys. 
Keys are an interesting invention. Keys go with locks. If you have a key and you don't have a lock, it's pretty worthless. If you have a lock without a key, that's also pretty worthless. Keys serve many purposes. Keys open and close. Keys lock and unlock. Keys reveal and hide. Keys loose and bind. Keys people keep people out. They keep people in. Getting a key shows responsibility and authority, confidence and trust. A key is a symbol of stewardship. The bigger your key ring, the more authority and responsibility you have. Most of us have a car key, a house key. Some of us have a church building key. I don't. <laughs> I don't want one, really. Maybe that's why I'm the master of so few keys. Some of you carry key rings on your belt. The janitor at Scotts Creek School, where I taught for 19 years, had 47 keys on her ring. You could hear her coming a mile away. But I knew exactly where to go if I needed something. I coached basketball there for 12 years, but was never given a key to the gym. <clears throat> what does that tell you? I think my lack of desire for responsibility is shown by my lack of desire for keys. I hate having stuff in my pockets. I really do. I don't, I don't know. I just don't like it. I like putting my hands in my pocket. But I like to have them clear. I never have really liked to have a bunch of keys. What if I lost them or misused them? Now you're to blame. Shibna had a set of keys. Verse 15 tells us he was in charge of the royal household. Somebody trusted him. And what did he do? He was unfaithful. Verse 16 tells us that he carved a resting place, a, a home for himself. He misused his keys. And God allowed him to get away with it for a while until, and it's always until, God decided to expose him. And when he did, the devastation was destructive. Do you know why God allows us to get away with something for a while? One reason, at least. To give us time to repent. To come to our senses. But at some point, it's too late. You are the shame of your master's house. I will roll you like a ball. And hurl you headlong into a vast country. And there you will die. God says to Shedna, the unfaithful steward, that he will clothe someone else with his tunic and sash. And trust another with his keys. 
even the key to the house of David, which opens and no man can close, and closes and no man can open. All because of misuse of the keys. Am I a Shebna? If you think about it, you can find keys throughout the Word of God. Listen to these passages from Revelation, chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and it, I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Revelation 1.18, Jesus himself says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. What a place for those to be, the hand of Jesus. Speaking to the church of Philadelphia in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one will open. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. How'd the door get open? Which no one can shut because you have a little power. And have kept my word and have not denied my name. Maybe, just maybe, if we have and walk and are faithful to a little Holy Spirit power and keep his word and do not deny his name, maybe, just maybe, we too will have an open door that no one will shut. God has a big key ring. Got a lot of keys on it, way more than 47. In Genesis 1, he gave Adam a great key. He said, here, Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over every living thing. In Genesis chapter 9, God gave a 500-year-old man a key to a big boat. And Noah... Put that key in his pocket for a hundred years while he was building that boat. He didn't lose it. He didn't misplace it. He didn't neglect it. He kept it. And he kept it in good condition. And then the boat launched. And then God gave Noah another key. He said to him something similar to Adam. Be fruitful, Noah. Multiply. Fill the earth. In Genesis 12, God gives Abraham a whole set of keys. I will give you a land. I will make you great. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Because of you, all the earth's families will be blessed. That's quite a set of keys. Quite a responsibility. What if Abraham, like Shebna, had failed? But he didn't. 
Keys were given to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, whose people were locked behind a great door of bondage until the key set them free. We keep reading throughout history. Keys were given to Joshua, Gideon, Samson, the prophets, Deborah, the judges. We don't have time this morning to discuss them all. To David and the other kings. And when the king used his key properly, the nation was blessed. And when the king mishandled his key, the nation suffered. Just like Shebna. Has anything changed today? God gave Israel a key and said, you are a light to all nations. Use this key in obedience to my name and my commands. Worship me alone and I will make the nations come to your light. Church, what's in your pocket? What's in your pocket? What's in your pocket? How are we handling the key to the light of the world? Luke chapter 11, verse 45. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us. But Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you built the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Consequently, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, some they will persecute, in order that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering, you hindered. Woe to us if we have taken away the key of knowledge. Woe to us if we do not enter in ourselves. Woe to us if we hinder anyone else. The church, the people, the organization that does not believe and walk in and proclaim true, authentic, historic Christianity without compromise has taken away the key of knowledge. And is no better than the lawyers and scribes and Pharisees that Jesus says woe to. <clears throat> People are looking for the way through the door of knowledge. People are searching for the room of reality, longing for truth. 
Asking questions that only those who have already entered in can answer. I was blind, but somebody rubbed my blindness, and now I see. I lived behind a tomb of darkness, but somebody rolled the stone away, and now I've returned to the land of the living. Somebody took the key. Somebody said to me, Phil, you need to repent. Believe on the living God. And he opened the door. He opened my eyes. And I walked through. Forty-six years ago. Thank God he did that. The lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews had misplaced the key. They had lost it. But Jesus, coming down from his father with the keys of sin and death, the key of David, wielded it like no one else had ever wielded it. He unlocked the door to the father. He unlocked the door to the Holy of Holies. The veil was rent. And into that intimate presence, the very presence of the eternal, almighty, ever-living, everlasting God, He beckons us to come. Enter and follow Him. He said, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. If anyone will locate the key and open the door, I will come in. I will come in. And we will be together forevermore. Jesus gave Peter a, a very well-known set of keys. About a year ago, Gail and I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and we were at Capernaum. There's a big statue of Peter there. And guess what's on the statue besides Peter's image? Keys. Keys. Jesus called them the keys of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew sixteen nineteen, And though Peter would have his share of dark moments in the days to come, we find him in Acts chapter 2, stumbling out of an upper room in Jerusalem, drunk with the fire and power of the Holy Spirit, aflame. And although he had no literal pocket in his tunic because his tunic had no pockets, the keys to the kingdom were his. And they were pulsating with the Spirit. And he unlocked the door of salvation to all who lived in Jerusalem. Slave, free, Jew, Gentile. Man, woman, child, green, yellow, purple, red and yellow, black and white. The word of faith was nigh him, even in his mouth. The word of faith is near us, even in our mouths. The key of faith is in us, even in our mouths. Peter said, repent. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that very moment, 3,000 doors fell open. 
3,000 doors of darkness fell open and 3,000 doors of marvelous light appeared. The scripture says 3,000 were added to the church that moment. What's in your pocket, brethren? Though some of our keys are different, each of us has a key. Most of us have several keys. All of us have copies of the same key. Each of us has the key of reconciliation. Each of us has the key of baptism. Each of us has the same ability to share our faith, our experience, our our truth with someone locked up in fear and deception. There are others among us who have a key of healing, a key of wisdom, a key of knowledge, a key of tongues and interpretation, a key of prophecy, a key of love. What's in your pocket this morning? God, the eternal, everlasting, almighty, flawless, perfect, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, God gives to us feeble, puny, weak, wobbly, failing humans His keys. It's unfathomable. What was He thinking? But he gives them to us because we're in his image, because the living Jesus Christ lives within us, because we've been filled with the spirit of God. He gives them to us. His gifts, his keys, keys to kingdom living. And every key has a purpose. Every key has a lock and every lock has a key. There's at least four things that we can do with our keys. First, we can lose them or neglect them. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your key, which has a great reward. Don't lose your keys. Don't neglect them. We have keys hanging on the wall in a shelf at home. And we don't use all the keys every day. But when we need it, I know where it is. Those keys are precious to us. Second, we can neglect the key. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift in you. Do not neglect it. Why would any of us reject, misplace, misuse, or neglect a gift our Father has given us? Oh, I've got that key around here somewhere. I don't know where it is. I remember I had it 16 years ago, but where is it? 
Is that the way I'm going to handle a gift from God? Oh, God, uh, you know, yeah, I remember you gave me this, but I don't know where it is. He who is faithful in a little thing will be faithful in much. He who is unfaithful in a little thing will even have that taken away. Third, we can steal the keys. That's what Shebna tried to do. And that's what the Pharisees and the lawyers did. You have taken away the key of knowledge. They're not mine. I mean, they are mine, but they're his. He's loaned them to me while I live. But they're his and they're mine. Fourth, we can use our key according to the owner's manual. First, I can open the door and enter myself. God commands us to do this. And second, I open the door for someone else. So what's in your pocket? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These keys are mine. This is my address. These rooms are mine. I have the keys. I have the key to righteousness. I live in the room of peace. And although you might not think it sometimes, I do live in a realm of joy. I've been set free. I have truth. I have life. And I have it abundantly. And I have it now. God's opened the key. Taken the doors away. I can see. He's rolled back the tomb door. The stone is gone. I was raised singing the Methodist hymnal. And it's surprising how many of those old songs I still remember, even though I kind of hated singing them at the time. Like this one by Clara Scott. Open my eyes that I may see. Visions of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key. That shall unclasp and set me free. The wonderful key. Maybe there's some area of our lives this morning that need to be opened, unlocked, loosened, unchained. There's freedom that needs to be experienced. God wants us to be free. And I'm pretty sure there's somebody here who has a key. If we'll just dig in the pocket 
and get it out. And by faith, use it as you minister to each other and pray for each other. If you have entered in, use the key to bring someone with you. So if you have needs this morning and you can't seem to find the key, somebody here has a key for you. Somebody has a key. And not only should we use it in this moment, maybe, but continue to use it Monday, Thursday afternoon, Friday evening, eight days a week. Let us pray. Would you stand? Would you stand? Father, we stand before you. Grateful, first of all, that you have set us free in Jesus Christ. That we have the gift of Jesus Christ in us. Our Savior and our Lord. There's none like you, Lord. None like you. We're so grateful today. That you have the keys of sin and death. That there's no fear today. No fear of death. No fear of Hades. Because you have set us free. You've unlocked the door to heaven. You've bound the door to hell. For us. Praise you this morning. Praise you this morning, Father God. For your ministry to us. For your revelation to us. For the way you've used the key in our lives. For the wisdom and peace and joy and and understanding and love that I walk in all because of you. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to you in this moment. We pray for the unleashing of peace among us for anyone who's bound this morning to be set free anyone who has a chain of any type big or little to be set free from that chain today meet our needs you're here to do that and set us free Father Set us free. So I encourage you, if you need prayer today, find somebody. Go over here to to our areas where, where folks do have keys. But let the Lord of heaven and earth meet your need today. That's what he wants to do. Set you free. We bless you today, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.